Welcome to the Scale Up Valley, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Tobias, the CEO at AWORK. Tobias, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. <laughs> nice to be here. A pleasure to have you on the show and uh, uh, a guest from Hamburg, uh, beautiful Hamburg, and uh, and with an amazing story. So you, you were able to build one of the first SaaS companies, let's say, in the history of Europe and, and Germany for agency businesses. Now, uh, scaling A-Work, uh, your second uh, SaaS company. So we will have a lot of fun uh, during the next uh, 40, 50 minutes. So, but for the ones who didn't have the pleasure to get to know you yet, uh, Tobias, uh, give us a little bit of a background about you and how you didn't uh, starting your your current chapter, uh, A-Work. Sure. Right? sure, absolutely. I'd uh, love to. So, um, um, well, as for me, I'm, I consider myself a little bit of, an, of a European. I was born in Germany. I moved around a bit. Um, I spent seven years in Sweden. Um, so I love being in Stockholm. I speak Swedish. I spent um, almost five years in Switzerland, where I learned some French. Um, then I came oh. back to, to Hamburg to, um, to become an engineer. Um, so I'm an engineer by training, even though I've never really worked as one. And um, now it after helps. after a, yeah, the mindset, does. right? <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Um, here and there it does. And um, it sort of influences. It's a big influence on how we think, uh, because my co-founders are also very technically um, oriented. Um, one is also a mechanical engineer. The other is an informatics engineer. So um, we're all very technically minded and it, it, it helps um, to think of things as working systems. So that is a big influence. And then now, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm in Hamburg only about um, half my time and the other half. In, in Milan, so I, I, I'm shy wow. Italy now, <laughs> um, which is nice this time of year because it's a little warmer. Um, Definitely um, an European. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice. That's the nice thing about not, Europe. Not only right? in um, Germany, but always uh, yeah. living around. Man. That's that's what's so wonderful about Europe these days, right? You have all these Correct. so different, um, so different cultures that that are just within grasp. And, and to be honest, Milan is just the the. The spider and the web, you're the, it's so beautifully located south of the Alps and then two hours in any direction. Um, Europe is just beautiful. So that, that, that I really enjoy that. And then, well, after university, I, I um, was on my way to become a, a management consultant because I, I did an MBA um, during my, my engineering yeah. master's as well. I, I met my co-founders during that time, um, but we were all on the way into uh, corporate jobs and, and, and um, yeah, I, I was planning to become a consultant. And then fortunately, we had the idea to just give this a try. We had for some... Um, yeah, university projects, we had developed a piece of software that helped us organize projects. And some of our clients from those days actually asked us whether they could buy that. And uh, it was not for sale. It wasn't even ready to be used commercially in, in any sense of the word. It was buggy and sort of a home homebrewed piece of software. But it got <laughs> us thinking that... Um, there actually might be a market for a piece of software like this. Can we scale this? Can we start from scratch? And um, to be honest, sometimes part of, of, of starting a business is just having the opportunity. And, and we did. We, there was three of us. We were all able to code. It was really easy for us to start. We had the basic idea. And honestly, after uni, not much to lose. Had it gone wrong six months later, we would probably just have continued where we left off. And, 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 and the beauty started... of starting early, right? Yeah, that was... 
that, that's the perfect situation, right? And um, so we did that. We, we found the first business angel to get us started and get us set up. And um, I think we made about every typical mistake that you can make as a first-time SaaS founder. So we had to switch customer group completely from, from a very conservative mechanical engineering crowd. Um, I remember when I when I um, did client visits in, in 2011, 2012, um, I put on a suit and a tie and I drove out to the German um, <laughs> uh, small country country um, towns um, and I told those guys I have this piece of software for you it's going to change your business and they were looking at me and going like okay yeah but for a demo you need internet right <laughs> let me see if that works today and, and you know so we, we quickly realized that we might just and, have a good idea but the times are not quite ready in that industry yet <laughs> and for the ones realizing that Tobias is talking about 1950 no yeah, no you started uh, the company in in 2012, right? Yeah. Because roughly, sometimes yeah. I, some someone was telling me that the the it, it was kind of in the last decade that we had the first uh, smartphone, uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff, right? And, and we have those posts about Uber, Airbnb, and and so on. Yeah. But sometimes we forget that uh, this is something still very recent. We think it feels that we have always lived with that for the past uh, 30 or 40 years well, yeah especially sorry. when you're when you're from the tech bubble right uh, like us when you yeah. when you're completely surrounded by tech all the time and, and connectivity exactly. is something that you're so used to you don't even realize that it's there anymore and exactly. then you just switch from from being a city dweller to to sort of slightly more out on the countryside you switch industries a little you, you and, and suddenly you realize yeah especially in Germany, um, that there's a huge gap. Um, and now, I mean, obviously that has changed over the last 15 years quite a lot, but um, still, um, in those but days, still, it was a big yeah. problem for our business model. <laughs> so uh, we had to we had to shift that completely. Um, we started out, even though we had pretty small ca customers uh, in the day, um, we started out with a direct sales outbound sort of sales process mm -hmm. without having any background in that field. So we were quite bad at it. Um, it, it worked in the end, um, but it took us a long time. Um, and then we realized we need to switch to something more scalable. So we we, we switched that part of the business out for an, an online marketing process. Um, we, we started with a tech stack that we the three of us just knew. So the, the, the decision on what kind of tech stack do we use to implement our SaaS was a quick one. We, we had a peer and then we, we you know, Cool. Had a talk and then <laughs> we found out well this is the tech stack that we all know and it's kind of simple let's go for that so we did and you know fast forward a couple of years that probably wasn't a smart decision we had a lot of technical depth we were stuck in a, a framework that was just slow not built for the kind of application that we had in mind so again we had to switch all of that out uh, in order to be able to keep going so i think a lot of these classics that you hear about when you read those 10 things I wish I would have known uh, when I started. Right. Uh, we did a lot of those. Um, and But uh, for some reason, we were always just about um, clever enough about it for all of this to still make sense for us. And then we got some investors on board, first the business angels, uh, finally a fund. Um, so, and, and also for our investors, it, it was always just you know, just good enough to to keep going. It was still interesting for everybody, and we had a great team. It, it was we had a good time too. So um, uh, that was that was interesting. And then um, finally, about ten years um, after starting the business, um, we had become but switching business models here. So we had become uh, the largest or second largest ERP for creative agencies in in the Dach region. Amazing. And then we sold the business um, to a private equity fund, um, which was a great great outcome for everybody involved um it gave us some right. entrepreneurial freedom um 
And uh, it was a good exit for our investors as well. Yeah. And then we started again right out, out of the out of the box. Um, the three of us decided to to go again and um, started AWork. Yeah. And, and maybe now uh, kind of covering what what is A work and, and what you guys are doing at, at A work. Right. So to put it simply, A work is a work management tool. So think Asana, Monday, ClickUp, that sort of space, Got especially it. for project-driven businesses. Think creative agencies, um, consultants, um, architects, right. etc. And it especially solves their need for advanced scheduling, planning, and time tracking, Got which it. none of the other tools do because they focus on the large enterprise opportunities and build complexity into their tools, but they do not focus on that particular business. And that creates Got a it. big headache for these people because they have a, an acceleration in the frequency that they deal with projects. That's just how the world works. They need to deal with a growing creator and freelance economy, mm -hmm. and they need to network more between different companies and partners, et cetera. And that creates a very complex scheduling and, and sort of the question, right. I'm a project lead in a fast moving creative agency. And I go, I don't know if I can take this next, next project. It's just too intransparent. And right. mix that with people suddenly being at home and having to, to um, coordinate with their private lives as well during the same hours, it creates a scheduling mess. And AWork finally solves that and, and gives them one sort of peace of mind in, in their work management. That's what we do. That's, that's a, a big problem, definitely. Uh, I, even in the past, when I was leading a branding agency uh, as professional CEO, I was involved in building a project management tool. <laughs> so crazy, a crazy <laughs> project to, to be able to understand kind of what 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 was our uh, profitability per, per project, per customer, understanding the time allocation. But we never got to, to that level of, uh, of sophistication. But uh, yeah, we were just looking for the basics. I'm talking about 2008, uh, 2010. So uh, yeah, at the time we didn't have so much the the SaaS concept it was really paying someone to develop the platform and, and working together and then paying the updates so not a SaaS solution <laughs> right. yet would love to have uh, addressed the that cool and in terms of stage of growth to be as I know that you have right. raised uh, uh, an exciting 5.3 million uh, US dollars uh, a round um, yes. but where are you in terms of uh, account mm -hmm. revenue if you can yeah. disclose those, sure. those kind of uh, growth metrics. Sure. So um, our team has, has just reached 35 people, roughly. Um, about half of those are based in and around Hamburg, and the other half is all over the globe. So from Brazil to Italy, we're, we're spread out, cool. um, building a hybrid team, which is, is a lot of fun. Um, we're moving towards 2.5 million euros in ARR, um, growing at something between 5 and 8% per month. So that's that's pretty healthy at the moment. Um, and we have about 2,500 clients, so that is companies, accounts um, that, that use AWork commercially, um, about 20, 25,000 users roughly um, on the platform. Um, all of that, I guess, is, is pretty healthy for the stage that we're in. 
and yeah. um, we just closed the Series A exactly because um, out of the the old exit, we invested um, three million euros of our own money into the company to get started. So we um, did our own um, Series yeah. A um, funding, which was a luxury. Um, that was that was really a dream come true to start a, to start a business, obviously. Right. And then um, now we we got um, professional partners on board, especially to drive um, this next stage of growth, um, bringing the team above that 40, 45 people threshold, um, starting internationalization across um, or out of the German speaking regions. Um, all of those things right. are, are definitely very capital and know-how intense. And it's really great to have European partners on board to do that. Got it. That's super exciting, amazing uh, metrics. And in terms of the expansion, are you considering European expansion or also US expansion, LATAM, Southeast Asia, yeah, more sure. exotic destinies, <laughs> destinations? Sure, we're definitely considering all of those. Um, we're starting with the European expansion here um, because um, that is, for us, it's a, it's a natural and, and also an easy and a simple, it's a simple target because we are mm -hmm. a European company, so we have some some uh, well trust credit i guess um for a lot of, of european users um it's easy for us to expand from a legal perspective across the eu um there yes. are a lot of countries that we can reach with a bilingual german english um setup yep. both in terms of sales in terms of marketing in terms of customer support and all of that so regions like the benelux the scandix um maybe the uk a bit more complicated obviously um mm -hmm. are sort of natural next steps and then we'll take it from there right got it makes a lot of sense and um you as you said uh, it was the same founding team that started the previous company that is now uh in in the new company which is a luxury to have we know that uh, a lot of the the, the the startups or scale-ups that fail are because of uh co-founder uh, issues and conflicts and uh, so it, it's it's really a, a pleasure a luxury to be able to go for a second start already knowing each other uh, and also it, it speeds up the the process of um, of execution so um and I, I've, I've also observed in terms of the the, the that, that you've been also cmo in your previous company and now transitioning to to ceo uh did you have any other uh, in other pivots in terms of the functions of your previous leadership team? So how has it been this evolution from one yeah. company to another and all those years together? Right. Yeah, so two two different aspects there. So the one is spending so much time together as a founding team. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's really lucky <laughs> um, because yeah, right. it, it's like being in a relationship. But you know, not not just two people, but in our case, it's there's there's three of us, and. Um, you can definitely see sort of an evolution there over the years um also because there's just you know such a long stretch of time you you yeah. you're in different life stages right my my one Niels my co-founder is just he has a little kid now uh, which completely changes awesome. the, the personal side of his life um right uh, you know you see you see relationships come and go um you see people just you know growing with the with the not just professionally but also in, on, a, on a personal level and and sometimes right. i guess that can go wrong and um you know you just split up as a team and sometimes that sort of seems to work out and i think what we what really makes us click is that we always find a way to be right pretty rational about the professional side of things mm -hmm. and then let the private side of things 
also have an evolution. Sometimes there are stretches and years where we're super close. And then sometimes, you know, we, we move apart a little and then we come back that fluctuates. It's not always the same over the years, but on a professional side, we're always pretty rational about things. We also, mm -hmm. we've also found different areas of the company that we focus on over the years and we've switched that a lot so um i in, initially we were all sitting around a table and typing code and then at some points uh, one of us had to had to pick up the phone and do some sales and and i guess <laughs> i i just drew the short straw or um uh, the other two guys uh, pick up the phone even even if they, they like it even less than me so um that was my job right. suddenly um and so <laughs> i just started focusing on that and and learning learning the trade basically um i did that yeah. for a while built a small sales team so i, I worked in sales basically um for yeah. three four years and then when we realized sales is not the thing anymore we need to learn how to do performance marketing and how that funnel works um i, I switched jobs again and did that um uh, that's that's how i became the cmo uh, my co-founder Lucas switched from leading our engineering team to being our um, head of product, um, and so you know we've we've moved around, um, and it it took us years to really find what we're good at and also what we enjoy doing. Because in the end, if you if you're in that for such a long stretch of time. Also, as a founder, you have to find the things that you actually enjoy doing. And nobody can tell me that every function of the company is just as much fun, right? There's sometimes you hear founders and they tell you, right. I'm all about building the business, whatever it takes. But you know, that's such such a lie. You know, there's <laughs> nobody can tell me they like marketing as much as accounting. You either like one or the other. And and at some point, you know, I think you have to find things that really keep you. Uh, that make you get up in the morning also in, in terms of, you know, focus areas. And that's that's how. And we found those after a couple of years and that has been working really well. And within those areas, we really keep out of each other's way. And then we meet to bring all of that together. I guess that's a bit yeah. of the mechanic that, that's at work here. And when switching company, um, I moved from being the CMO to, to a CEO role. In the first company, we were really German about that. We had three managing directors. Those were the three of us. Okay. And that's it. And um, <laughs> in, in all of those, in all those, uh, I don't know, almost 15 years now, we've never, ever taken a vote. It's never been necessary. So oh. um, when, when, when investors kept asking us, like, how do you do this? You need someone to be in charge. And we were always like, do we? Do we really? I mean, why? 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 Where's the change? You know, we've never Thought voted on anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now we realized there is advantages to somebody really focusing on, on fundraising, team building, uh, strategy development, and and to make that to, to make a more formal, um, strategically scalable approach. Um, right. So I transitioned again and 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 um, handed over marketing to um, a longtime employee um, who's been leading our marketing team before. She's now the CMO. Again, um, amazing. Not really only the hands. founders transitioning, but also talent from the previous company that you already yeah know. that was amazing our entire leadership team were either um people who, who moved over from the old company directly or um some we were able to hire back our cto for example used to be our old cto as well then he moved to silicon valley spent a couple of years at auth zero um and then we were able to hire him oh. back um same goes for our chief customer officer so that's that's a really nice mix coming together and your your co-founders are currently in what positions? Just out of curiosity, of course. Um, one is the CFO. Um, he also well, dabbles a bit in our backend infrastructure because that's a bit of a um, uh, <laughs> that's very dear to his heart. Um, and um, the the other one is our chief product officer. So he does all yeah. the visionary product design um, from from customer research all the way to button yeah. design is sort of his his scope of of yeah. expertise. And I think it's very healthy this excitement and this spirit, this this need to be uh, in different areas to 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 get to know things that challenge you. Uh, so I think that that's a very founder 
uh, kind of mindset, right? And, yeah. and we can see it on your LinkedIn. So I've, for instance, I, uh, on your current role you have on your LinkedIn, my, my role as the CEO includes team building, fundraising, and otherwise getting out of everyone's way. So I really enjoy it that way because sometimes I think that that's one of the main challenges that we have as founders, right? So uh, we care so much about the team, about the company, that that and and we are human beings. And sometimes we also want to be needed or want to feel needed by others. And it's, it's a huge uh, self-development work to understand that... Uh, what we can do the best as leaders is not be needed at all and and uh, and just get out of the way as you said uh, in, uh, on your linkedin <laughs> yeah and focus on the areas you can actually create create more difference. value than the people you've you've spent so much time finding for your team right and i, I think there's there are so many quotes of, about that there is there's steve job quotes about that you know hiring smart people and then get out of their way yeah. there is there's um um, Reed Hastings talking about that a lot. Um, there's so many great entrepreneurs talking about, you know, you hire the, the greatest minds that you can find and then, you know, let them do the things that you hired them for. But then again, you, you're suddenly in that position where you, in the beginning, you had to handle everything. So you're, you are, you're yourself, you're such a concentration of knowledge about the business yeah. that you've built that it's really difficult to take that step and really let go of those topics. Um, I think right. we've become better at that over, um, we've gotten better at that over the the, the years. Um, but yeah, still, still, still a thing. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, 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 and the vice versa also happens. If, if you had a very long corporate or professional career, if you are trying to start a company, you have the need of having uh, all the areas divided and to have someone responsible for each of the areas. And it will not work in a very early stage moment. So again, you need to roll up your sleeves and and work, even across areas that you that you don't have a good understanding about, and you just need to learn about it and find out a way until you are able to find someone to help you out and and finally let go again uh, of of that area. So I, I right. think that that's curious to see uh, how founders have have a problem of letting go and and then other more professionals that are transitioning from a career um to uh to a uh, entrepreneurship have an hard time then understanding that sometimes you need to own more areas than what is normal in established business right so right. <laughs> and then resist the impulse of uh, stepping back in as soon as a as a mistake happens, right? Um, that's the that's the the tendency that you don't have so much, right? Because you you do care, then you hand something over. Uh, everybody right. makes mistakes, and then you're really tempted to sort of step back in and you know take it's, over directly and resisting that and just you know I'm, uh, rather supporting the, the the quick learning curve um, instead of instead of jumping back in is 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 very natural, I guess that that impulse exactly. and resisting that is not always so easy. Because there is also this obsession obsession to detail uh, from founders, right? So they they can see almost every single thing that is not working, and uh, and it creates a lot of noise in the mind. So they want to solve yeah. it uh, straight away. But anyway, I know that you you love the topic of uh, how to be happy at work. You are a great evangelist about that, and I think that's the your SaaS solution today also relates to to that topic, and and that's one of the reasons you enjoy to to talk about it so what has right. been why and what are, what have been some of your reflections uh, about yeah. that right so yeah um, work happiness happiness at work is something that is very um dear to our hearts because in the end 
the the public discussion is usually about work-life balance in some form or another but just thinking about the word work-life balance suggesting that there is work and then there is life and the connotation being you have to switch between the two you actually you're you're sometimes you're at work and sometimes you're alive that's that's sort of the connotation <laughs> that that the word means right? right and that's also what a lot of the discussion has been focusing on and i find that to be very misleading and also not helpful in developing a healthier and more human-centric um form of work and that is what I believe new work and the evolution of work, the future of work should be all about, to find ways to use technology amongst others, but also just cultural lessons that we've made over the last decades to actually improve the way we work. And I think happiness is a key element of that, right? Um, mm -hmm. We should be able to pursue happiness, not just in our the person on the personal sides of our lives, but actually also on the on the professional side of life. Um, and to be able to integrate those two in a way that is fulfilling and doesn't require compromises on all sides all the time. And when you really think that through, it creates a lot of that has a lot of consequence. Um, it, it, it shapes the way that we try to build our own team and the way that we try to build flexibility and um, yeah, flexibility into the way that we work at AWORK. It also influences the way that we design our product because we think that organizing work is one part of making that happen and organizing it in a way that is transparent and that allows everybody to merge those two spheres of, um, of our lives in a meaningful way that is still productive is also a consequence of all of that. That's that's maybe a bit of an intro into that topic. There's there's so right. much to talk about that, but that's the rough that's the rough idea. Uh, just a comment on that. Yesterday I was in the field of LinkedIn, and, uh, and uh, unfortunately I was not able then to uh, because I had another distraction. I was not able to keep reading the the post, but it was a, a CEO was sharing that uh, he shares also his personal calendar with the team to to provide a kind of an example so we he puts there the sports that he does uh, any uh, time off that he takes uh, in in the middle of the of the of the day uh, at work um, just to take care of the kids or to take care of home or whatever it is because it really shows that uh, it is okay in the company to have that time off and, and to take care of yourself during working hours. And then you can always uh, compensate or again, integrate uh, both areas. And, and I think this is really important. We always repeat this, that uh, the example comes from the top, uh, but but sometimes we, we still have this thing of, oh, this is private. We should not, uh, we should not share this or what will the people that work with me think about me if I'm uh, just having a run during yeah. my my work day. Uh, but maybe if I'm doing that, I'll be much more uh, productive and I'll be much healthier than, than just being uh, full of anxiety or not having a good day or things are not working for me. And, uh, and I just need some time off and, and come back much, much fresher and much more productive to keep going. Absolutely. And... Um... I, I I do that as well, um, and I, I I don't share my complete personal calendar because there's lots right. of stuff in there that you know 
people are nosy too. <laughs> so there's sort of a limit. Um, exactly. But I do put I do put things that I do during the day where others would usually think, well, he's at work the entire day. Uh, when I go for a run, I, I put a running break into my calendar. I set my Slack status to I'm on a run. Um, that is uh, when I when I have an appointment, I don't know. I I go you know have my hair cut. Um, mm -hmm. I, I set my Slack status to to that so that people actually know, well, he's out and he's not, you know, doing meaningful stuff. He's just sitting in a chair and getting his hair cut. And I think that mm -hmm. is that is okay. Um, that is one part of being professional about this. Um, the other way around, I'm also the typical guy who will send you an email on Sunday evening because I'm on the couch and I have my laptop there and I'm, I'm going to work there. And I'm, if anybody right. tries to tell me, well, Sundays is not for work, I tell them, well, who are you to tell me about my Sunday? You know, leave me alone. And and those two things go hand in hand, right? Um, it's not about, there's no authority out there telling us, this is work, this is life. That, that doesn't work. That's not how it works, literally. Um, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's our, our lives, right? We can do whatever we want with them. And there are certain rules, certain things that we are being evaluated for right and so am i for goals that we reach for um mm. projects that we deliver but how i go about that and what i think is the most meaningful way to get that done is still up to me nobody else is, is going to tell me um how to how to go about that and i think that is a meaningful that is a meaningful um thought and we yeah. we do a study um on on uh, work happiness it's actually called the work happiness report <laughs> um and we've been looking, we've been working with a professor from Berlin. Also, she's a professor specializing, she's a psychologist specializing in work happiness. So um, she's developed a model mm -hmm. um, of what the factors, the key influences are that make people happy at work. And there's three of them. And one is um, a professional community. And mm -hmm. people who feel that they work in a community that actually understands them and supports them in a professional right. matter, manner. And um, examples are, you have to take care of something that is urgent in your in your personal life, then mm -hmm. the community will deal with that and handle the, the cool. yeah, the, the, the whatever the you problem. need to do. Yeah, whatever it is. And in the other direction, um, something goes wrong, how does the community handle blame and um, <laughs> shining a light on what went wrong and learning from that so those are those are aspects that make up this factor of professional community and teams that are really strong in that <clears throat> will also be strong in something that is pretty well known in the community um the psychological safety right so teams right. where it's okay to take risks because taking risks is part of the dna of those teams and that is how you grow and that is how you perform those two are very linked linked closely together and they require that sort of flexibility because otherwise i'll always be stressed by by external factors and if i can't alleviate that stress in some way that is okay for my team to handle i won't be able to perform right super important so with, and and the and the the three points are professional communities, psychological safety. And, uh, no, it's uh, a professional. It's professional community. community? Um, self self actualization. So being able okay. to put your own ideas into practice. Okay. And just to give a, a a little fact on that one as well, okay. about fifty seven percent of all knowledge workers tell us they are not able to put any of their own ideas into practice right. during their work. Now, that is astonishing, right? Because these people are all in knowledge work. They're hired for their smarts. And then nobody Good lets point. them 
act on their ideas no 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 wonder they're grumpy you know right <laughs> i would be um and uh, the third one is sense of purpose and sense of purpose is much broader than um company purpose we're not talking about mission statements these can support that but it's also about having the feeling that my work my my, my detailed work is actually a meaningful contribution to what we're trying to do at large um yeah those are the three so sense of purpose self-actualization professional community love it so it, it really helps uh and and unfortunately we we can see that i think that the sense of purpose is getting closer i think that companies are more um aware of of that importance and uh, and of course people are choosing the companies that are really authentic about the the, the impact that they have in a, in a specific area or or mission but definitely this this professional community uh, it's it's an hard job to have a team that really supports each other and accepts each other and and we know uh, it is so much better to work with people that we love and that we have fun working with and and the and the work uh, or the output let's say or the outcome of the work uh, comes much better right absolutely and again it provides a structure that we feel safe supported and also driven towards success in the end um yeah is is something that that goes hand in hand and i think that connection is is often ignored interestingly um yeah. so if you if you look at those three factors um they they create an environment where people are happier at work mm -hmm. and then happiness at work is one of the key drivers for creative and innovative behavior it right. is a it has a much more much higher explanatory value than any other factor that we've been able to look at so far and it's it's far above things like salary and and, and you know we're, we're talking 10 times um so especially right. if you're in the in the in the in the knowledge industries if you're mm -hmm. employing a lot of creative people or um, relying on their capability to come up with innovative ideas um right. And your your culture doesn't support those three basic layers of um, making people happy at work. It's mm -hmm. no wonder they won't reach their creative potential. Yep. So the other way around, if you rely on that, this is an area that you should focus on as a business to make that happen, um, to right. get the right tools to um, organize, um, to harmonize, um, to to really make sure that people know what their impact right. is on the on the greater business um, goals. To really see that people can not only come up with that, those creative ideas, but actually have the opportunity to put them into into um, action. Um, right. Yeah. So in in other words, of course, you, this is something that is uh, close to you that you care about, and you, you try to uh, to make it work on or to to build a culture around this or to include this kind of mindset and philosophy on your culture, but also be a facilitator via your product and your platform exactly. to also help enable this kind of culture for organizations in that space. Yeah. That's what you've been working uh, in the past yeah. company and in this company to work with agencies or knowledge workers, as you, was, as you were yeah. saying, consultants, so if you, architects. Creators. If you look at, at A work from the outside, I think there's two parts of what we have to offer. One is a, a stellar work management tool um, that incorporates mm -hmm. elements to create a better and happier way to work together. Mm -hmm. And then there's us as a team um, who try to experiment with 
just those principles and to really try to get to the bottom of how they work in a scientific and in an experimental way. We consider ourselves to be an ongoing experiment in work happiness and to learn from that and to take some inspiration from that, how to, how to create a better team. Right. Amazing. So extremely good uh, reflection as, as leaders, we, and especially in a VC bucket uh, environment. Uh, it's it's a again it's a difficult balance and integration to uh, but but I think that especially the new generations and maybe also some of the things that have been happening in the world in the in the previous years also have impacted as uh, as a society right so when people uh, want to feel that uh, they are allocating well the time of their lives that they are making the difference that they are connected with a purpose. And uh, and again, they also feel that they need to be paid accordingly. So it's 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 really putting much more pressure on the company and on the leadership. So we want to feel valued as individuals, respected. We want to be compensated by that, and we want to work in things that really deliver value to society and impact others, right? And, that and that's an interesting, <laughs> absolutely. And that's an interesting aspect that you that you added to it. We want to be paid accordingly. Now, interesting fact here: seventy-one percent of knowledge workers would be willing to give up part of their current salary in order to be happier at work. Wow! And the average people would be willing to give up is twenty percent of their current salary. Well, uh, just let those numbers sink in. 70% would be willing to give up part of their salary. On average, it's 20%. And then, you know, we sit in front of our employee sheets and we try, you know, to motivate people by, by pay raises and, and, and think about how, how we're not able to, to pay um, top of market to, to get the brightest minds. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, just factor in that impact, um, how, what, it, what it means to actually be able to provide an environment that makes people happy. Uh, it's actually worth money if you're if you're on that side of the of the equation and you you think about like oof, yeah so what what's the impact you know I have a yeah. business plan here well there you go the the difficult thing is um, how do you communicate that in a way that is actually authentic mm -hmm. and trustworthy that you're mm -hmm. in an environment and in a team that is actually that cares about this that really tries to to provide a happier work environment to be able to leverage that to look at it yeah. in a very you know matter of fact right. kind of way that is difficult that takes a lot of work but still um, those are the facts yeah that, that's why we, we are seeing second time founders and first time founders saying that really culture is a super important asset and a competitive edge for for any company and again this is really difficult to replicate so that that's that's one of the ips of the company uh what i think is also interesting is is something that we can take for granted. Uh, it's something that we need to work on a daily basis, um, and, and 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 there is a, com a creative component on that, right? Because we we create culture much more by example, by the people that we retain, the people that we recruit. So there are a lot of elements to work on that culture, and I think that we are getting more and more insights on how to do it. But I think that a lot of us still need to be, including myself, of course, still need to be trained and uh, and um, and to let and to get to know much more about how to do that. Right. 
Yeah, and I know that you you uh, you usually ask for book recommendations at the end, but now that we're <laughs> on the topic, maybe it makes sense. I have two favorites yeah. in that area. Um, the one is is Ben Horowitz, but not the hard thing about hard things. Love that book too, but it's not that much about culture. Um, right. The other one, um, what you do is who you are. Um, that I really enjoy right. because it takes a fresh approach to looking at cultural phenomena in history and transferring those, those into business. It was really inspiring. And then also just um, the, the classic no rules rules um, by, by Reed right. Hastings um, on, on Netflix culture. Those two, I, I really enjoyed. They gave us a lot of, of um, inspiration on what we'd like to, to incorporate into Great our DNA. And um, not all of that. I, I don't agree with all of that. They're very American. Um Mm -hmm. which is fine <laughs> just it's right. just not a lot of these things just don't don't resonate with the way that we think about um company culture yeah. but some things really do a lot and they are really progressive and, and really helpful so um i suggest to take a look at those two as a starting point if you get a want, want some external input love it thanks for sharing those those resources so now let's just go through quickly fundraising and go to market before uh, going to the to the last segment of the show sure. some of your lessons learned uh so as you said this is quite uh it's becoming more natural but still an outlier experience to be able to invest three million of your own money on your second uh startup and uh, I, i'm also seeing that uh, with the 35 people you are not trying to over hire, you are much more disciplined and more capital efficient. Also, you didn't raise kind of a 10 million uh, round. So, and I think there is also a different mindset about uh, not diluting the, the founders too much or not raising uh, capital that you don't need that will also complicate um, a potential exit uh, a little bit later uh, in yeah. the process. Can I just share a little bit your thought process about fundraising, especially coming from a second time founder position that sold the first one to a private equity yeah. fund and, and made a meaningful uh, exit. Yeah. We know that other exits happen, but but sometimes yeah. the, the exit uh, juice is not enough to, to, do, to, to have this kind of option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of things going on also because currently um, recommendations are so varied at the moment. Um, uh where do i where do i even start so um maybe so, starting by by your story right so yeah exactly so um so when what, we started when yeah. we started with with a work um we knew that sort of coming out of the old business we would need some capital also because we had um, people that we wanted to bring on board and we needed to start paying salaries immediately so we needed some cash um yeah. and there was also a couple of things that we knew would be really important especially in a crowded market like work management um, that we needed to prove before going out to raise funds that we could actually deliver on uh, winning deals against the Asanas and Mondays in a core ICP that continuously and really demonstrating conversion rates that work in the market to deliver sort of the scalability um, that we that we were pitching would be essential for any fundraise. Um, so I guess um, while that situation was a luxury, it was also a little bit of a requirement. Um, so we put in the money to make that work. We reached a point where we had the feeling that now this is this is what we needed to right. prove. And uh, then we went out and, and, and raised funds again. And we were originally um, thinking that, well, <laughs> this is going to be an easy one. You know, we have track record and we have traction and, and we have a business yeah. model and we have a nice product and everything is there. And then sort of the climate changed. And instead of four weeks, it took us six months to raise a Series A. Um, yeah. We talked to a lot of funds out there. 
um, for different reasons, declining um, a lot of, you know, the climate just changed. And then recommendations, obviously, at the moment go all over the place. You know, some people tell you, you know, stop, be, be capital efficient, don't raise too much, um, yeah. keep your shares. Um, it'll it'll simplify the next funding round. And, you know, don't exaggerate valuations, be cash efficient, don't burn too much, all of that. And then there's the other people telling you, oh, my God, you can get money. Grab it all. <laughs> get as much as you can. Runway the same is... <laughs> amount of equity, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that that. that sometimes you really don't know what to what to what to believe and what to trust um, right. when it comes to these recommendations at the moment and for us um we've always run a pretty capital efficient shop because we had to um and also because we think it it makes a lot of sense not to raise way more money than you actually need um and especially when you when you consider that this is it has a lot of consequence in your business plan right we put together a business plan that we really we don't do over the top business plans we do business plans that are ambitious and that we can usually we usually deliver on our business plans more or less and um and also the ones that we pitch i always tell investors you know this is our plan here's the last five we delivered on all of those we're going to deliver on this one as well plus minus so be cool. careful deducting stuff. You just won't invest in a good opportunity. I don't know, kind of a weird approach, but I, I feel <laughs> so weird exaggerating business plans. And yeah. um, and then when you when you change the amount of money that you put in, the entire dynamic in your business plan changes, right? The hiring dynamic changes. The the risk that you take in scaling your your go to market changes completely. And once you embark on that direction. It's so difficult to turn back and you can always accelerate slightly faster. You know, if you, if you realize, wow, traction is good, all of this works, you can always take some of that budget and invest it earlier on. But that is a very reasonable way to go about that, right? It's a very entrepreneurial way to think about that. Right. Um, it's not at all the Silicon Valley all or nothing kind of way to, to build a business, yeah. but it feels much, much more reasonable sustainable sensible mm -hmm. and is the business plan still ambitious hell yeah um it, it, it doesn't deliver itself otherwise for us company. yeah it, it wouldn't be a financial opportunity for us otherwise um so and and we try to find the balance there and uh, that's how we also reached that amount of money this this was sort of the minimum amount that we needed for a meaningful impact so below the five million um it would have been uh, would have not made sense to raise capital because then we right. could have, you know, scratched together everywhere else and, and sort of the, the overhead and the shares and everything um, wouldn't have made any sense. But starting yeah. at about 5 million, um, we actually have a meaningful impact on the business. That's yeah. that's how we arrived here. And to be honest, just to clarify, so kind of your first pre-seed and seed round has been made by the founders, the 3 million, and then you went to raise uh, just a series A from external investors, or yeah. did you raise a previous round? Uh, also no, we didn't raise a previous round. Um, we okay. brought a couple of business angels with us from the old company as well. Um, Got it. So I think Niels Lucas and I provided about seventy-five percent, and then they provided about twenty-five percent, roughly. That's that's roughly the share. Okay, so it was kind of precedent seed uh, all together, and and then you yeah. went to raise uh, series A. So we are yeah. seeing. We are seeing through the new playbook that a lot of founders uh, are starting with the pre-seed round, but we are seeing now second-time founders trying to uh, skip the pre-seed uh, the pre-seed round and go to the seed round, as it happened uh, in the past, just starting with a with an initial round. 
but here it's even more impressive. So you almost started with an angel round plus your your own round uh, that was kind of precedent seed and and then uh, raising an official uh, Series A round, which is yeah. uh, quite interesting. Cool uh, and and great perspective about the different options. Uh, I also like to talk about one of the recent posts of uh, Jason Lemkin. Uh, if you raise too much, especially when you are getting closer to to a, to an exit or 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 when the business model is not growing accordingly to what you plan it, because maybe the the business doesn't have the potential to grow so quickly, or you are not able to find the lever to go through the, the growth plateau or to unblock the growth plateau, then you don't have any options to, to exit because you raise it uh, too much money. So um, yeah, but you are right. There is no right or wrong. Uh, and I think it's also related with the timing with opportunity and with, with the timing uh, when you are building uh, your company. So maybe early on, you, are not, you don't have nothing to lose. Maybe just raise and try to go to the the, the, the moon but on, the, on our second time maybe you want to control a little bit more um your destiny and you want to control a little bit more some of the variables and, and in that sense not raise so much yeah and also you can right um yeah. i feel that now we have i mean we just have a different skill set to control growth mm -hmm. um and we're more mindful about early indicators so it's much easier for us to judge is this actually is this working could could this scale um was a much more difficult question the first time around where it was really you know we saw it when we saw it um and i think that makes a big difference as well because now we're actually able to handle the capital that we have right. in a much more efficient and much more targeted way um than we were the first time around. and without that initial pressure that you don't know you don't have a clue about your business model if, if there is problem solution fit product market fit and you are ready being asked how we will double and triple in the next uh, years and yeah. i'm just i'm just testing if this works first if customers want this and if this is really a, a real thing in the yeah. market right so yeah. cool let's go quickly to to go to markets but i but i'm happy sure. because i think that we we discussed it we shared a lot about your story and and also we discussed sure. the most important topic that i know that you are passionate about and and again culture is a very important competitive sure. Uh, edge and uh, happiness at work is is really a a, a fresh topic on on the amount of episodes that we had we discussed so much about go to market and fundraising that you can see so many episodes but uh, happiness at work there is only this one <laughs> with with to be it right so let's go quickly through your lessons uh, on right. on the go to market you were just saying before that you started with the outbound uh, and and yeah. uh, going to, to 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 small towns and talking to business owners and so on, uh, which has been the the classic uh, strategy of, of of all businesses and yeah. and I think it's it's the new waves that brought the inbounds, the product led growths, the bottom ups uh, versus top top down way of selling. But, but let, it, let us know a little bit of some of your lessons learned with your mm -hmm. two companies. Sure. 
So let's start at the beginning. Um, we did outbound sales because it was the only way that we knew how to reach people. So we picked up a phone <laughs> and we gave them a call. It's as simple as that. And we didn't have a lot of money to to do anything else. So so getting a list of people that you know seem to fit the profile and giving them a call and then experimenting um, as much as we can with sort of the approach um, on the phone and everything, doing a really classic bottom-up um, sales approach um, was just the only idea that we had. So we did that for a while. And um, you know, when you do something, a lot and you repeat it a lot you get better at it over time so we scaled that we built a small team i think we were six people doing outbound calls um sort of tops um <laughs> you could do a lot of calls with six people um so that that worked okay in the yeah. end we originally imagined our our average um revenue per account to be somewhere in the thousand euro mrr range so 10k right. plus um annually Right. Uh, and for that size of business, it, it does make sense to have a process like that in place. In the end, it turned out our ARPA is, was more like half of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing an outbound process ARPA with that much. For the ones um, listening, average revenue average, per account. <laughs> exactly. Um, was about half that, so 500 a month. Um, and there it gets really difficult to 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 scale that. Um, so the 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 business model and then product market fit, like the size of clients that we were able to um, to get to use our product, um, just influenced the go to market and the necessity for for having a different process here. Also, the the sales cycle for an outbound process was really long, six to nine months um, for the segment and the product that we had. <clears throat> we simply right. didn't have the cash to fund that long sales cycle. Uh, especially not when scaling and experimenting because it just right. takes so long to turn around. Um, so we had to make a switch there and we turned to performance marketing and we've been um, sticking with that for as a primary channel ever since. So we built a very complex performance marketing infrastructure over the years. Um, we are presently on 15 to 20 different platforms. So there's the big ones, Google, Meta, Outbrain, Taboola, et cetera, but also lots of smaller and niche kind of platforms where we place ads of all forms. So a lot of CPC bidding, but lots of others as well. And we have a bit of an intelligence setup behind that, um, doing attribution on those channels, really attributing revenue all the way through to a single creative on a, on a platform. Mm-hmm. And we scale that. So there's a, it's very technocratic marketing. <laughs> so we right. do have good creatives, but it's also a lot about the technical <laughs> setup um, of how we do that. I love the technocratic marketing <laughs> <laughs> expression. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and, and that's what we do at the moment. So about 80% of our leads come from that. Um, also because um, AWORKS, our bar is much smaller again. So now we're in the 100 euros um, a month. So 100-ish dollars a month month um, range. So it has to be even more scalable. We have about 3,000 trial signups a month at the moment. That's a lot of trial signups. Mm-hmm. So then the next... Um, the next stage is, is really important to filter, score, and then do an out, outreach is the wrong word, but then uh, get in contact with those inbound leads that are really make sense to talk to. So the slightly larger ones. So that's the setup that, that we have at the moment. There's a performance marketing driven lead engine, and then there's some scoring going on. And then there's some contact, personal contact to the high potential leads, and then they they close. Sales cycles are much shorter that way. Um, so 30 to 50 days is, is really fine for a business software. Um, yeah. Amazing. That's what you did in just a short period of time. It, it's really amazing how you explained it, uh, all the options and, and how your system works. Uh, and definitely... Again, CAC, I think that you, you're talking about CAC, LTV, CAC payback, the amount of, of capital that you need in advance, the speed of growth. So 
all those variables all together in such a short period of time. Congrats. Uh, <laughs> 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 and, uh, and I feel that uh, we could go uh, just an entire oh, yeah. episode about sure. those, those lessons learned. And, and you need to come back to, to talk about it because I feel that you have a, a great engine to share with people uh, out there. So you have really gone through all the... Uh, all the mistakes with with outbound and you needed to completely change the model and be able to articulate inbound with outbound however being more uh inbound driven as as you explained so let's go to the last segment right. of the show if you'd have the opportunity to have a coffee with tobias at the beginning of your journey with a work let's say with a work already uh to make it fresh 2019 uh what advice would you offer to your younger self be much more selective about the clients that you talk to. <laughs> so starting with AWORK, we, we had a very broad approach. Uh, we were trying to fix work management for everybody. And, and, and that, that sentence should make everybody really Correct. cautious about what they're doing, you know, <laughs> trying to fix something for everybody it never works, never ever. Um, it, it's always a shitty idea to, to start a business. Um, because when you talk to everybody, you get everybody's feedback. And, uh, you know, that, that, it's an obvious one, but again, uh, we did that a lot. We talked to a lot of people. It took us a while to really focus on an ICP that works for us, that resonates, that we can actually address and focus on marketing-wise and product-wise. It's a classic, but still, we did it again. <laughs> I love that you also, as, as your second, uh, second time founder, that you are transparent about it because I think that it happens to all to, to all of us all the time. Even me, having helped so many companies in the last uh, 10 years, sometimes I still make the same mistakes and I'm all crazy. I know this. I've been repeating this so many times and I'm making the same mistake. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? Um, I think also the first time around, but also this time, we've just put together the most amazing team. Um, I'm really proud of that. Um, we put a lot of effort into that. Um, it's just an amazing group of people, extremely skilled, um, harmonizing, um, working together in an atmosphere that is just... One of the best. Um, yeah, really awesome. proud of that. Great culture. Worst advice ever received? <laughs> Become a consultant. <laughs> sorry, sorry, consultants. <laughs> exactly. We, we are here to save you <laughs> with A work. <laughs> and that's why I do what I do, uh, talking about happiness <laughs> at work to, to wake you up. <laughs> sorry about the, the jokes. Uh, and again, respect for, for all the, the consultants, uh, yeah. including myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> resources. Uh, you have talked about some of your favorite books. Do you want to add any other extra resource? Um, yeah, I love those. Um, I, I do follow sort of the first round review for those of you who, who, who don't know it, right. um, is, is especially early, early stage knowledge. I think they do, they do their research. They produce valuable content. Uh, still love to follow those. Um, you mentioned Jason Lemkin. I love following his Twitter feed, even though he's in his own kind of Silicon Valley sphere that is not always practically relevant, but it's also very inspiring. Right. Um, Absolutely. yeah, those are a couple of good ones. Great resources. And favorite movie or series? Of all times. Wow. Um, <laughs> have to still go with Sopranos. Go to just... Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm a Sopranos fan. Okay. And finally, your favorite podcast, excluding this one and yours. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I, I do have to admit, I'm not a really frequent podcast follower. I don't have podcasts that I listen, listen to every episode. I, I browse around and then when I find an episode, I do give it a listen. There is a really nice, for those of you who sometimes enjoy um, German speaking podcasts, there is a really uh -huh. nice one called... Um, um, we have an damn, interesting German crowd as, uh, as listeners to the show. Um, uh, so, yeah. Oh, what's their name? Uh, it's by Christoph Magnussen. Um, new work. Damn, no, I'm, I can't come up with a name. I'll send it to you. Maybe you can include it in the show notes. They do um, English episodes okay. as well. And they interview everybody from the new work crowd, including Friedrich Bergmann and, and all of those, those famous people. Can, I really enjoy those um, from time to time. Um, give it a listen. I'll send the link over. Sounds great. Tobias, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much. On the way to new work time. is what it's called. Ha, wow. And now you, we don't need to add the link. Yeah. <laughs> Could you repeat, awesome. Tobias? Just... On the way to new work. On the way to new work. Tobias, it was really great. a pleasure to have you on the show. You are always invited to come back to share the next chapters. And uh, so we also need to do a, a, a podcast on your, on your go-to-market engine that I think it's, it's really important. And you have explained great. it so well uh in such a short period of time that it was really incredible thanks again thanks for having me <laughs> and to our community thanks for being there we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier as you scale our business see you soon and keep scaling <laughs>